with our brilliant uh, regular contributor, prominent civil rights attorney and towering public intellectual, <laughs> Connie Rice. Connie, how are you today? Hey, Tavis, with this age-damaged brain, I'm holding <laughs> steady through the madness. <laughs> Holding steady. <laughs> uh, you always are, and I'm uh, I'm glad to have you back on. As always, a lot to talk about today. It's going to be uh, difficult trying to squeeze all this in in 60 minutes. Let's see how well you and I can do it getting all this covered today. So much stuff going on. I don't even know where to start. There's Trump stuff. There's the, the you saw his comments about terminating the Constitution. Uh, there is the Georgia Senate runoff tomorrow between Herschel Walker and uh, Raphael Warnock. Uh, but today here in Los Angeles, where this radio station is flagshipped. Is December the 5th, and this is the day where the L.A. County Registrar Recorder, uh, County Clerk's Office, certifies the results of the L.A. mayoral election, uh, providing what uh, might be considered uh, an exclamation point to L.A. Mayor-elect Karen Bass's historic run. I suspect we'll start there. Those who listen to this station regularly, and I hope that's you, 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 and you, you know that this weekend we are uh, hosting a major block party. Uh, it's called the Welcome Home Mayor-elect Karen Bass event in historic Lamont Park this Saturday, December the 10th. More about that later in this hour. You've been hearing the promos about that. Uh, it's going to be a great performance, uh, a great day, I should say, with performances from Brian McKnight and Guapale and Club Nouveau. And Karen Bass will be live with us on stage at 11 a.m. It's going to be a great day in uh, Lamont Park this Saturday. We'll talk about that again when we move forward. So we're already doing our part to celebrate this election, but the results are actually officially certified today. So let me just start by asking, Connie, what you make of this historic election of the first woman and the second african-american to lead the city of angels well it's an astounding story because with all of the money that was that was thrown at this election from uh the other campaign you'd have thought that that karen bass's uh, campaign machine would have been totally overwhelmed but what's astounding is that you've got, I mean, she, she led by a seven-point margin after the primaries, which was, un, which was shocked everybody, because at election night, you'd have thought that Rick Caruso won. Mm -hmm. But as the votes got tallied more and more and more, the, her margin of victory grew and grew and grew. And she maintained it plus, mm -hmm. I believe, in, in the final numbers. And they haven't even totally finished everything. I guess the certification deadlines, but there's some votes that came in late. But um, that's the astounding story. Money didn't do it. And her, I think that Karen's inspirational uh, record and persona that you can't disconnect from her record, mm -hmm. I think that's shown through the noise and all the attacks from the police uh, protective league, the union, the police union. None of that stuck. And it's really fascinating because I can show you a dozen races where those kinds of attacks and that amount of money differential, 15 to 1, really wiped out the other side. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm dying to hear from Rafe Sonnenshine and Fernando Guerra and all of the folks who pick apart these elections and can tell us what really happened. I want to hear that story. Yep. There's a lot to be told. And uh, they've been releasing parts of the story, as you know, uh, uh, as they discover it. Uh, but again, all the final numbers will be certified today here in Los Angeles. And uh, we'll get a, an even clearer picture of what happened and how she pulled this off in the days ahead. There's no doubt in my mind, having worked for Tom Bradley, as you well know, when I first met you, I was working for Tom Bradley. And I uh, 
remember those days fondly, uh, working for the mayor and meeting a lot of people in this city, um, like uh, Connie Rice and uh, God rest his soul, Johnny Cochran. So many people I met and remain friends with to this day um, uh, uh, from serving uh, for Tom Bradley as one of his aides. Um, so those are great days in my life. And so it means a great deal to me to see another African-American elected mayor <clears throat> and the first woman, of course, to lead the city. So there's no doubt in my mind, um, Tom Bradley included, respectfully, that no one has ever run for mayor in this city who was more qualified than Karen Bass. You can't argue your qualifications. Speaker of the Assembly, um, started the community coalition, serving in Congress, all the things that uh, Karen Bass has done, I think prepared her better than anybody else who's ever run to be mayor of this city, no doubt about that. But what I keep getting questions about, Connie, from friends all across the country, I suspect you're getting some of this as well, is how they process the fact that, to your point, she held off a $100 million-plus assault. Now, that could be a game-changer in politics if people think that can be emulated around the country. All kinds of folk running for offices here and there who have this kind of money. Um, you know, you, you saw it, you've seen it tried in other places, and typically it, it works. People with that kind of money end up winning. It didn't happen here. So the question is whether or not the circumstances in this, you know, so-called progressive city, uh, uh, Rick Caruso coming after Donald Trump. We're sick of the billionaire stuff. We're sick of folks trying to buy elections. A bunch of other issues I could put on the docket right now, which I want to don't want to waste time doing. But whether or not the question is whether or not this is such a unique race, and Karen Bass, uh, Karen Bass's success here cannot be replicated necessarily across the country, or whether or not you see this as a game changer in money not being the the end all be all in our politics. I think you got to go race by race, Tavis. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, in, in this particular race at this particular moment, I think you had a number of big factors, uh, sort of larger contextual factors, uh, increase in turnout for women, increase in turnout for Gen Z. Gen Z made a big difference in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in several elections around the country in the midterms. Mm -hmm. And you had this, this yearning for coalitional cohesion. And I think that's what Karen's, uh, uh, you know, her, her record, her, her being, everything about her life has been about uh, 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 multi-pluralistic coalitions, not just race, not just gender, but LGBTQ. She, you know, she, she has, she, she's looked at class. She's looked at compound race and class. She, she understands sort of the tectonic stuff that's driving us under and I think the, the voters understood that her policies and her ability to create coalitions, people understand there's no one person who can do this. It takes all of us rowing in the boat together. And mm -hmm. she does that. She puts us in the boat, the right boat, and she rows us in the right direction. That's what she did when she was fighting the, uh, the, the, the drug uh, tsunami that, that engulfed South Central. And she tried to, you know, she's fighting the, the uh, epidemic of drug, the crack, the crack epidemic. Um, so, and she's done it uh, when she had to lead and get that Justice and Policing Act bill out of Congress and to the Senate. Only Karen could have done that, you know, with, with those crazy Republicans um, in the House. Um, so, you know, she does things that nobody else can do, and I think the public understood that. But it also let her politics say, because folks have said, Connie, we're not the majority anymore. I said, listen, African Americans are going to have to get like Karen and knit together community by community, the folks who want to solve problems. Mm. She's a problem solver, and she appeals to people who want results. So the racial stuff can be transcended. You know, you and I both know that anti-black bias is universal. You can go anywhere mm -hmm. in the world and see it. 
just like Baskin Robbins, mm-hmm. <laughs> 57 flavors. <laughs> I just need to know which flavor, right? Uh, but but you, you and I and people like Karen have to transcend that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to get people to get beyond it, and we, we pull together coalitions of problem solvers. That's the politics for when African-Americans are a declining minority. We're like less than 8% of the city right now. Uh, and in Bradley's day, what were we, 12%? And, and, and it, uh, dropped, it so, dropped every time he ran for and mayor. It, and it's yeah. going down. Yeah, it's yeah. going down. So we're going to have to get like other small groups that are, are influential uh, fulcrums where, you know, we're, we're, we can be the the wedge in the system that not, I mean, positive, you know, right, sure, sure. Uh, uh, we, we can be, we can be the, the, the group that pulls everybody together. Uh, and that's what that's, it's yeah. sort of minority coalition power. Yeah. Let, let me come back to that. Uh, when we, when we, uh, when we move forward, I want to stay on this issue for a second here, this notion of the challenges politically to the power that African-Americans have wielded, whatever power it is that we have had, relatively speaking, um, you hear Connie suggesting that as our numbers decrease in this city and across the country, frankly, we're not making babies <clears throat> the way other communities are. And so as our numbers decrease, our power decreases. And how do we process that? We keep talking about the fact that a few years from now, we'll be a country where people of color make up the majority. Yeah, that's true. But the specifically inside of black America, our numbers are going down. What does that mean long term, locally, regionally, nationally for the power that we have had uh, over the past number of decades. I want to come back to that notion because it's important. It's bigger, much bigger than just the city of Los Angeles. Again, uh, the runoff is tomorrow in Georgia between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walk. We'll talk about that. Donald Trump's insane comment this weekend uh, that uh, he wants to terminate the Constitution uh, and a great deal more to talk about in this first hour as we uh, continue our conversation with the towering public intellectual or regular on this program. We're grateful for her voice. Connie Rice is on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Interrogating your assumptions. And expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Connie Rice on KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. Talking politics in this hour with Connie Rice. We were talking before that break about the historic election of Karen Bass here in Los Angeles. Uh, those uh, election results will be certified today. So today it becomes official, but we already know that she is going to be the, the first woman and the seven, second African-American to lead the city of Los Angeles. Connie was making the point a moment ago, and I know this well because I work for Tom Bradley. Tom Bradley was uh, mayor of the city of L.A. for 20 years, first African-American to do so, lost to Sam Yorty, what, 69, won in 73, and went on every four years to win re-election, lost being governor of this state by less than, not even, but less than one vote per precinct. That's how close he became. Uh, he came, I should, uh, I should say, to becoming the governor of the state of California. But uh, once he won in 73, never looked back. Five consecutive four-year terms, 20 years as mayor of this city. And yet every time he ran, every four years he stood for re-election, the numbers of African-Americans in the city of Los Angeles proper was decreasing. And yet Tom Bradley kept winning. So talk about 
coalition politics. You can't do that for 20 years if you're not establishing coalitions with other groups. And Connie's point is that that's what we've seen Karen Bass do this time around. That said, though, Connie, um, you you put your finger on something that I want to interrogate a little further here. And that is that in this city and across the nation, the numbers of black folk are shrinking. What does that do long term to our power? And how can we in the months and years ahead uh, not have this correlation between a decrease in numbers and a decrease in political heft? We've always been the minority, except in states like Mississippi. But in the times when, when, when we were a majority of a state, that's when they reinstated slavery light, mm-hmm. precisely because we were a majority and could elect people. to So, so when, when the Reconstruction ended, that's when they lowered the boom and started the white terror of the Klan and so forth to make sure that our large proportion of, of southern states didn't translate into anything except a new form of slavery. But let's go back... Our entire history, Tavis, has been as a minority supported by coalitions. Abolition was a multiracial movement. Mm-hmm. Desegregation and the King, uh, you know, nonviolent civil rights movement, that was a multiracial movement. Um, every single movement that has that, that 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 in which we have forged our freedom and fought, fought for equality has had allies and coalitions, and we couldn't... We, you and I would still be picking cotton mm. if it weren't for coalition politics, mm. okay? <laughs> so, it, it, you know, we this isn't South Africa. We, will, we have never been outside of, you know, that brief period right after slavery. We've never been the majority population in a state. And so everything we do is going to have to be... Good. And by the way, we are the most inspirational group in the United States because mm-hmm. it is through it is through our pathos and our massive savage suffering and fighting our way out of that that we have given meaning to the constitutional amendments that everybody now enjoys the protections from. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 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 the, the, the post civil war um, amendments to the Constitution, 13, 14, 15, all of that leading up to the, tw- you know, the, tw- the, the 21st Amendment, and all, all of those amendments come from our effort to free ourselves from slavery and our allies who helped us. So it is through the African-American experience, we teach America what its credo means. Black African-Americans, are, we are the ones who have taught this country the meaning of the Constitution, mm-hmm. and we've made it a reality for everybody. So when we freed ourselves, we freed all of America. Who saved us from Trump? It was African-American women who said, hold my beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in North Carolina, it was, it was Jim Clyburn who mm-hmm. saw that Biden was the only one on that stage who could have gotten enough white Americans who have gone down the rabbit hole of nutsoid, you know, get enough of them to come out of crazy land and and try to save the country from a megalomania megalomaniac who's holding nut jobs for Nazis conferences at his Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so it's always been coalitions. It's always been allies. And I think that when we speak to the fact that we're the ones who have made real, I think James Baldwin called it realizing America. That's right. America is a is an idea. Mm-hmm. It's achieving America. We are the main folks who have achieved what we have of the reality attached to the promise. And so um I think that 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 moral mantle it comes through our black church leadership, it comes through our black a lot of our black political leadership, some of our black 
political sure. leaders, you know, mm. you know, we got to kind of pretend they aren't there. <laughs> but but through our leadership, I think that's how that's how you create the coalitions. Now it means that you can have a Mandela Barnes almost get Ron Johnson out of office. That crazy senator from Wisconsin, Tavis. Mm. You know, oh yeah. He came within a hair's breadth, but because folks in Milwaukee didn't think it meant anything, they didn't turn out. Yeah. And he could, we could have taken uh, Ron Johnson, who's a sen- he's the senator who said, when did white supremacy become a bad phrase? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, and Mexicans with calves as big as cantaloupes because they're lugging drugs over the border. That ignorant, you know what, mm-hmm. he's still in, you know, he, he, he could have been taken out of, out of the Senate, but... But had we turned out a little bit, so a little bit more in Milwaukee, so we have power. We have power, but it has. We have to do it the way we've seen King do it. Yeah. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, who was more in your face and really fighting from the trenches. Um, there are different kinds of leadership for different kinds of situations, but in the coalition phase, if we are the minority and declining, we have to exert a larger moral political leadership. Yeah, I got two minutes, uh, two and a half before news, traffic and sports. Let me ask this one question uh, uh, finally about Karen Bass. And on the other side, uh, we will continue our conversation about politics across the nation, including the Georgia Senate runoff, Donald Trump, uh, sadly, and, and other issues. Final question on on Karen Bass in two minutes. Uh, can she do it? I made the joke a week or so ago here that uh, you've seen the same thing I've seen, kind of. They always turn cities and, for that matter, the nation over to Negroes when it gets so bad that they don't want to deal with it. So the question is, can Karen Bat can, can she do it? Can she turn this around? This is a tall order. L.A. is a hot mess right now, Connie. It is, and so is a lot of the rest of the country. She can do it. First of all, I have all the confidence in the world that she has, if she has the right vision, it's big enough and bold enough, and she gets the right advisors. Um, she can, she can, what she can do is she can tell the city what it's going to take to solve these gargantuan problems like homelessness, like income inequality. If she if she's bold enough to say this is what it's really going to take, and here are the phases, and here's what I can get accomplished in the first three years, and here are the partners we need. Here's the power we need from Sacramento. Here's how we're going to use the bond money you've passed. I'm going to I'm going to pull everybody together jointly, so we're all focusing, all in the boat, rowing together in the same direction. She can do it. Yeah. Um, from your mouth to God's ears, it is a tall order. From homelessness to police to um, uh, lack of affordability for housing. It is a tough, tough, tough job. And um, Karen Bass wanted it and she got it. Uh, and we'll celebrate her getting it again this Saturday. It's our Welcome Home Mayor Elect Karen Bass event in Historic Lamar Park. Uh, this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. If you want to be a vendor for that event, hit us right now. A few vendor spaces left. Info at smileyaudiomedia.com info at smileyaudiomedia.com if you don't want to miss this Saturday Brian McKnight, Club Nouveau, Guapoli and some other performances and some other people on stage and some other VIPs that we'll be announcing throughout the week it's going to be a great day in Lambert Park this Saturday as we welcome home Mayor-elect Karen Bass more of our conversation with Connie Rice when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15 Looking for legitimate political discourse? Without the bear spray? Tune in and speak out KBLA Talk 1580.
I'm Tavis Miley. She's Connie Rice, and we're continuing our conversation about all things politics. Uh, tomorrow, as you well know, in Georgia, all the nation's eyes are focused on this race. Um, one more, one more again, as we say, between they got to be sick of this in Georgia, but I'm sure the turnout will uh, will be fine. Um, let's hope it will be at least at least for Raphael Warnock. Uh, but one more again, uh, Raphael Warnock uh, v. Herschel Walker. Uh, the control of the U.S. Senate is not at stake, but Joe Biden would sure love to have. That 51st vote, uh, not a whole lot to preface here, Connie. What are you what are you keeping your eyes on? Uh, what are you watching tomorrow vis-a-vis this race in Georgia? Well, the big the big factor, the big unknown factor here is whether Republicans turn out on Election Day. Mm-hmm. If there's a huge surge of the Republican vote turning out for this, despite the fact that the race no longer is going to determine uh, who runs the Senate, then, then, then there's a chance that the huge buildup of early Democratic votes will get washed out and overcome. And um, it's, it's very important to win this race, even though it's not going to determine Senate control, because it will determine a committee con- uh, makeup of the committees. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll, it'll give us a margin, a tiny, tiny razor-thin margin that may make Mansion and Cinema a little less uh, uh, able to torpedo everything. So it's it's important for a number of reasons, but but the real reason that it's important to have is, is that look at the racism here. Mm. I mean, Reverend Warnock is this is as an example of how white America requires us to be at the highest education, the most eloquent. We have to be in the top. They'll accept our top two percent. <laughs> And their average Joes can can hold all kinds of of positions and power, and nobody even thinks twice about it. Mm. But the same racism that forces a focus on, well, you know, you're you have to be at Obama's level in order to for any if you're African American, but you can be an idiot like Ron Johnson, and they'll vote, you know, that's fine. Mm. That racism is on one end. The other end of the spectrum is the racism that says Reverend Warnock and Herschel Walker are interchangeable. And, you know, that, think about the, 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 the sort of savage indifference of the racism that puts somebody up who, for me, the debate was, is he more like alfalfa or buckwheat? <laughs> I mean, it is, it, 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 he is so unfit. He's as unfit as Trump is unfit. And um, that's who the Republicans put up because Trump put him up there as a black man to counter Reverend Warnock. Well, it's an insult to the African-American community. It's a double insult to Reverend Warnock, who has been an amazing senator. The stuff he's brought home to Georgia as a senator in just two years. Um, he's an amazing coalition builder like Karen. Um, uh, you know, he should have been it shouldn't have even been close. But Georgia, white Georgia. Those voters were angry that Ossoff and Warnock made it into the Senate, and that was also because of Trump. So I'm just it's 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 always uh, kind of revealing when you look at you parse the racism. Yeah, what's fascinating for me is that in the final days of this campaign, so here we are on the runoff when it really counts, when it really matters. Uh, to determine, uh, again, whether or not Democrats will get that 51st seat. To your point about Trump, who we'll talk about more expressly and specifically in a moment, um, Biden has stayed out of Georgia, and Trump has stayed out of Georgia in this runoff. Isn't that fascinating? Not bo- Both stayed away. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Obama went in, and the great closer came yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they they're reading the polls. I, I I don't know what those polls say, but they're reading the polls about who can sort of trigger the other side more. Um, they asked Trump to stay out because there would have been. But I'll tell you what backfired. Mm-hmm. What backfired in this Georgia race was the lawsuit to shut down early voting on Saturday, Saturday after Thanksgiving. And it was so outrageous. People got that message somehow that that, that, that the Republicans were trying to, once again, on top of the voter suppression that they've already done, there has to be an equal protection argument for African-American voters and and folks who live in African-American districts, uh, for them to have to wait two and three hours, whereas... Uh, voters in other areas only wait 10 minutes. You know, the, this voter suppression, we're kind of building it into the model now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the students, they, they shut down all of the access for students on these campuses. And, you know, all those campuses in Atlanta, they're critical. More, mm-hmm. I was looking at interviews of those brilliant Morehouse students who were, that, I mean, the young African-American males talking about, yeah, I had to get out because women's white right to choose is, is on the line. I mean, you, you'd have been so proud. Those wonderful Gen Z voters, uh, they have to wait two and three hours. They don't have two and three hours to stand in line. You know, we've got to redouble our efforts and try to get some national vote. That voter, voting rights legislation really, really yeah. needed to pass. But look at us. In spite of all the suppression, we're out there. We're just not going to let them. It's just like yeah. no way, no how, not giving up now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that no. <clears throat> that's your point. I mean, if, if Democrats had that 51st vote, that's the point you made a moment ago that they don't have to they don't have to tiptoe so much around Manchin and Cinema. It's because of Manchin and Cinema that that that, that John Lewis Voting Rights Bill um, Act has not passed the Senate. Um, so, again, you get a 51st vote. Um, you don't have to be uh, as considerate. Uh, uh, pardon the pun. Uh, of uh, mansion or cinema when you move forward. So that's why this vote really does matter, uh, again, on top of Connie's point about the fact that it determines uh, the committee structures. Um, l- let me let me just ask you this, though. Um, it, is, it is fascinating to me, though, and you, you, you unpacked it beautifully, uh, about why this race is so close, given the, you know, the fact that one of these candidates is just not qualified um, to, to, to be there. But when you put your finger on this early voting thing that backfired, you're absolutely right about that, as you you know typically are. Um, but what what that says to me, though, and I, I think I raised this issue last week, Connie. I want to get your take on this. What it says to me, though, is that as if we needed more evidence, that all we're getting from the GOP, the Republicans, is lip service about how much the black vote does, in fact, matter to them. Because here was an opportunity for them to show that they're unafraid of the black vote, that they that they respect the black vote. But to your point, they doubled down. They filed lawsuits trying to stop early voting. And again, not that we need more evidence, but that's just another item on the agenda that shows you that they really don't care about black voters. No, no, it, it's, I wish it were just that they don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I take your point. <laughs> I wish we were. What's yeah. the frame, Tavis? Yeah, we're not in that frame. I wish we were in that frame. Yeah, I got you. Get the Tavis. Get the we're, frame right. Get the we're, frame we're, right. We're, yeah. we're in malignant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suppression yeah. frame. <laughs> they, they, they not only okay. So it's a general. We've got to knock out, nullify. That's right. Uh, uh, eliminate democratic votes in general, and the biggest supporters of the Democratic Party are African Americans. You remember when LBJ signed the Voting Rights Act? He said, "There goes the South for sure. the Democratic Party." That's right. That's right. 
And the South went to the Southern strategy. Republicans said, yeah, we used to be the party of Lincoln. Come on over, Dixiecrats. Come on over, white racists. We're, we're your home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we got something called the Southern strategy. And we're going we're gonna to show you how to use Willie Horton to scare white people into voting. We're going to have you vote racial whiteness interests. And that's what the Southern strategy is. And they've been doing it for 50 years. So it, we've gone from the Southern strategy to outright white supremacy. It's just out there now. And you've got their, their ringleader of this flying freak show that we call the GOP. It's no longer a party. It's a cult of personality. Mm. And it's bent on power at all costs. They don't care about family values. Remember, it used to be family values and and all of this uh, moral majority. Mm. and all. They don't care about the morals. They don't care about the family values. If, if Herschel Walker had, had, had paid for 10 abortions and, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's unbelievable who they'll vote for now. Mm. So open anti-Semitism, open racism, uh, open homophobia. They're attacking trans children. They're attacking, you know, they're separating mothers from their nursing infants at the border. I mean, family separation is something that, that white supremacy has done all over the world. Uh, us on the auction block and now Latinos at the border. You know, I mean, Indian children sent to Indian schools separated from their parents. So all of that, the, the, you know, the, the nexus to what happened in slavery, these are tactics that have been used for 200 years. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a part. It's no longer a party. It's a cult of personality. And um, it's a malignant cult, and they're out to destroy democracy. And the insurrection was the first torpedoing of the Constitution, and Trump is now openly saying, terminate the Constitution. Let me come back to um, that. Hold that thought. Yes. Hold that thought one second. Um, you're, um, you're going exactly where I wanted to go. Trump is, at the moment at least, uh, if not the leader of the RNC, the titular head of the party. And we'll talk about Donald Trump and the comments he made uh, over the weekend that he wants to terminate the Constitution. More with Connie Rice when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. now. All right, Connie, you teed this up. So to uh, the comments of one Donald Trump over the weekend. um, So in case you haven't heard this Former President Donald Trump called for the termination of the Constitution to overturn the 2020 election and reinstate him to power. These comments came on Saturday, uh, part of his uh, continued election denialism and pushing of these uh, fringe conspiracy theories. Connie Rice, I don't need to say much more than that. Your take. Yeah, we need to get some lithium down to Mar-a-Lago because he's losing it. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, he's spiraling. He's spiraling into the, the final meltdown. And it's because he feels the wall's closing in on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new independent counsel for the Espionage Act documents uh, pilfering cases. <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, he's revving up. Uh, he's been cleared. The, the two Trump judges and a Bush judge slapped down. Uh, the district court judge that bent over backwards to give him a special uh, master. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Every drug dealer, every time they find out they're being investigated, they demand a special, a special master, master to yeah. oversee the police. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody gets a special master at the investigatory stage. It's a violation of separation of powers. You can't even list the numbers of problems wrong with what uh, Judge Cannon did. But the 11th Circuit reversed her completely and said, almost, said, almost asked her, are you nuts? So there was no more special master reviewing the documents. That investigation can go full steam ahead. You also have 
the Georgia election interference uh, uh, case that, that D.A. Willis is doing, and mm-hmm. she's going down the tracks kind of fast, too. That indictment is probably going to come pretty soon. So there are two indictments that are probably going to come in the next six months, uh, one earlier than the other. He feels that. He's been shut down. Um, you know, The Trump organization, that trial just ended, so his financial, he could lose all ability to operate as an organization um, and, and, um, and could be found guilty of civil fraud. Uh, so he, the walls are closing in, and he lost these midterms so badly that even the Republican leaders are starting to turn on him. So you can see him starting to crack. Yeah. He's holding nutcases for Nazis dinners at Mar-a-Lago. He's, got, he's embracing anti-Semitism, open racism. He's lashing out, and now he's talking about we need to end the Constitution. Uh, this 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 harm to him stealing this election the big lie he's still suffering from chronic <laughs> liaria the big lie is that it means that we have to end the constitution he try he ended the trans, peaceful transfer of power by flinging his thugs at the capitol and causing an insurrection when that didn't work now he's coming back and saying we need to um, um, he's issuing the call for his his uh, his army of, of, of proud boys and oath keepers to somehow end the Constitution. It, this this is actually kind of dangerous because when 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 a morbid narcissist completely breaks down to the very bottom, they destroy everything they touch, everything in their path. They destroy everything. They'll destroy their families, their children. He'll destroy the GOP. He he is going to go out with a flamethrower, and we need to – people – I hope the FBI is watching. I'm talking about Hoover. You know, mm-hmm. Hoover would probably be helping him. Mm-hmm. But the current FBI, at least there's some sane people in it, um, I hope that they are watching his supporters because as he spirals downward, um, I'm hoping that his hold on that 30% that's diehard MAGA yeah. isn't quite as hard as it was when he launched the insurrection. Yeah. But, Chavez, keep your eye peeled because – we're, this is dangerous. Yep. It's dangerous. You know, with these elections and midterms, what I said on, uh, I said, as a former capital punishment lawyer, I said, democracy got a stay of execution, but it's still on death row. Mm. And he has his hand on the switch. I love, <laughs> wow, a stay of execution, but it's still on death row. Only Connie Rice, uh, chronic liaria, only Connie Rice. And when we come forward in our many moments with Connie Rice, Two final questions. One about the Trump campaign in the months ahead and what these indictments mean for that campaign. And one final question about how she feels that we're headed toward a divided government in Washington even before we get to 2024. Connie Rice on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where we turn red lights to green lights and keep it moving. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. You heard Connie Rice a moment ago mention Jagger Hoover. She did that because I mentioned at the top of the hour that in our second hour today, we'll have a conversation about Jagger Hoover, who the man was really. We know he was a one-dimensional tyrant. He went after Fred Hampton, went after Dr. King, went after the Black Panther Party writ large with COINTELPRO. But who was J. Edgar Hoover? A fascinating new book out about him. We'll talk to the author of that text, Dr. Beverly Gage, in hour two. In the three minutes I have left for Connie Rice, two questions. One, Connie, these indictments are coming. There's no doubt about that. And that's one of the reasons why Trump jumped so early, of course, because he knows that while he's running, these indictments are coming. And he can say, see, once again, they're after me. The question very quickly is whether or not these indictments will, how can I put it, fuel his campaign or turn into a fire that consumes his campaign? 
I think in the short term, it will it will uh, jet fuel power his mm. campaign. Uh, it'll it'll energize his base and reignite the same crowd that uh, uh, stormed the Capitol. Uh, Long term, if he, you know, uh, Tavis, if he's in the middle of a trial, I think the trial can be done on the Espionage Act case fairly quickly. Um, and, and it could come out in a number of ways. But conviction, unless it's a conviction that precludes him from running in a federal election, he'll ride it all the way to the new mm-hmm. nomination. Whew. All right. Final question. Exit question. Um, never mind what happens to Trump between now and 2024. In 2023, in a few days from now, we're going to have a divided government. How are you feeling about this? You know what? If I were Hakeem Jeffries, and congratulations to the new the new generation of Democratic leadership, if they if, if McCarthy can't get enough votes, and, and I'm hoping he can't, and they dissolve into a circling firing squad, I would be picking off just the number of Republicans and have them join with the Democrats and have them put in a sensible Republican who's an outsider, a speaker. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you just take the speakership away from them. If, if there's any pathway to do that, that's what I would be working on. In the meantime, just, just pass the popcorn while they kill one another. Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene tries to take over. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be ginning up their impeachment. Their, their Hunter Biden committees and all kinds of irrelevant uh, uh, prosecutions to try and get back at uh, the... January 6th committee. Don't forget that committee report is also coming out. So yes. uh, buckle up. Yep, the report's dropping. And uh, I, I, how how soon do you expect, uh, no matter who the speaker is, again, it, particularly if it's Kevin McCarthy, how fast do you expect the, the Hunter Biden investigation and how fast do you expect the impeachment process of Joe Biden to begin? Day one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those fools are going to go day one. <laughs> yeah, so, somehow I thought you were going to say that, and I feel the same way. Uh, yeah, on the one hand, get the popcorn ready. On another, another, on another hand, get on your knees and start praying, because it's, it's praying time in America <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to be praying P-R-A-Y-I-N-G, and they're going to be praying P-R-E-Y-I-N-G. Either E-Y. way, exactly. either way, it's praying time <laughs> in America. That's right. Grifters, I di- grifters and predators party. <laughs> I love her. She's Connie Rice, uh, our regular contributor. Connie, all the best to you. Uh, happy holidays. If I don't talk to you before uh, the season uh, gets in full swing, I guess it is already. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Take care, Connie. Hey, take care. Bye-bye. Good, good to have you back on. Uh, when we come forward in Hour 2 of Tavis Miley, a conversation about J. Edgar Hoover. What do you really know about this guy beyond uh, the obvious that he uh, didn't like black folks and came for got king and came for the Black Panther Party and came for Fred Hampton, killed Fred Hampton. So much more to talk about uh, uh, regarding who J. Edgar who really was, but this a brand new text that's out. We'll talk about it in hour two after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA.